Carefree Black Nerd is available on iTunes and SoundCloud and carefreeblacknerd.com. Please rate and review on iTunes. Like, share, and comment on SoundCloud. Of course, let's keep this conversation going. Live tweet with me when you're listening to these episodes. Give me a quick little live tweet. Stay carefree. Stay nerdy. Stay geeky. Yeah, that's that. Welcome to the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast, a weekly conversation about representation and the black and brown experience and how it's shown through comics and related media. I am your host, Rain Coleman, and this issue covers Alisa Tagger, codenamed Cypher. First and foremost, guys, thank you so much for being patient with me. I know I was off for a month. Uh, going for a month now, I'm back with the jump off. <laughs> I just needed to uh, take in some inventory, do some self-care, and kind of relax. Uh, I've been pumping on all cylinders for quite some time with show up to like five shows a week. So I needed to relax. Um, so thanks for that. And uh, so diving right into this episode, or issue rather, now Alisa Tagger, she is a mutant in Marvel Comics, and uh, she's on the Earth 616, this is the main continuity. She was created by screenwriter, producer, novelist, and comic book writer Mark Guggenheim, and artist Ralpha, and I'm going to butcher this name, Saradova, Saradovo, Dovo, okay. I think that's right. <laughs> now, Tagger first appeared in Young X-Men, issue number eight. This is back in November of 2018. However, references to her character began way back in Young X-Men, issue number three. And, and even with that, there's a lot going on. So we're, we're, we're going to get into this. We're going to break down this, uh, this, this powerful black woman. Now... These were, um, let me see, her her character, she was initially written to be referenced to the deceased new, new mutant character, Cypher. Now, this Cypher, uh, for those of you who don't know, was a male, and his name was spelled with an Y, C-Y-P-H-E-R, whereas hers is spelled with an I-C-I-P-H-E-R. The references included Grant Morrison's 2001 run on New X-Men. And Josh Whedon's 2004 run on Astonishing X-Men. Uh, there, Elisa became a featured member of the series Young X-Men. And after that series ended, she appeared in Uncanny X-Men and Wolverine and the X-Men as a student in the cast. Yeah, so Elisa has a lot going on. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm opinionated <laughs> when it comes to these characters. And she's one who I have quite a few about. Um, her run as far as I've seen, has been a bit limited, but we'll address that as well. <laughs> now, Cypher has had many bases of operations from the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning to the Salem Center to Westchester County, New York Utopia, San Francisco Bay, California, Grace Cathedral, Grey Malkin Industries, Marin Highlands, and San Francisco Proper, and the Danger Cave. Now, um, when Elisa was created, uh, I was on my kind of long hiatus from comics, so I'm not that familiar with her. Um, 
I was uh, maybe a few years away from getting back into the comic book scene of it all at this time. And I think I mentioned this probably way back in my first couple episodes on uh, season one, or at the very least, uh, The Pool, where I was away from comics for so long, I got back into them, and things had changed so drastically. Uh, it was... It was interesting getting my feet wet again, getting back into this wonderful industry. And um, there's a lot of characters like Cypher that I still have yet to uncover. Um, Since that time, more characters have been created as well. We know about Decimation and and all the other stuff. But I'll, I'll say all this to say that... You miss a little, you miss a lot. You miss a lot, you miss a whole lot. <laughs> and Cypher is one of those characters that kind of came and went. And I'm so surprised, especially with the push for diversity and inclusion within comics, where it's not just the old boys club. Cypher seems like a character who you would want to capitalize on. But, you know, I digress. <laughs> now, to give you a visual, Elisa Tagger, she is a black woman. About, they have her listed about 5'6", 5'7", 120 pounds. She's dark brown skin with long locks that hang about to the middle of her back. But you know, when different artists get a hold of different characters, it could vary. It could be at a shoulder length, it could be down your back, it could be, hell, with the extreme exaggeration of comments, it could be way down to her ankles. (laughs) A few pictures I've seen of her seem to be like Medusa level hair, just locks. And I'm just like... Man, who is redoing these fucking 10 feet locks in this woman's head? But yeah, so um, Alisa Tagger Cypher, let's get into her powers and abilities. Now, Cypher possesses the ability to pass through solid matter. She does this by passing her atoms through the spaces between the atoms of the object which she is moving through. I'll say that again for those of you in the back. She passes her atoms through the spaces between the atoms of the object that she's moving through. Now, in this way, she and the object that she is passing through, they temporarily merge without actually interacting. And she comes out of it with both things, her and the object being unharmed. This process is called phasing. This is very similar to uh, Catherine, Catherine Kitty Pride, aka Shadowcat of the X Men. This is very similar to her power set. Now, Cypher emits a bioelectrical charge through people when she passes through them, which kind of makes the first comment kind of a lie because you can't go through something unharmed but also leave an electrical charge. However, minor it may be, it's still evidence that you were there so i don't don't know that's that's a bit shady right there i don't know (laughs) but um but yeah so i think that that alone we're we're not even done with her powers but that alone is something that ah much like the luke cage being this big black man who cannot be shot who's bulletproof it's like this black woman who cannot be touched like uh, i go back to the um my mind immediately went to don't touch my hair. Shout out to Solange. Don't touch my hair. <laughs> no, but just that black women are, oh God, the most disrespected sect of people on the planet. And to, to have this autonomy or this ability to kind of disassociate with physical reality, and not even physical, even uh, psychological and, 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 and 
all like this gets to like telepathy and all that. We'll we'll discuss that in a few. But just this black woman with this ability to 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 be untouched in a way where you cannot abuse her, you cannot physically harm her, you cannot mentally get into her brain and, and harm her. It's just ah, there's something that can be impacted. And this is again why I feel like characters of color and of marginalized. Uh, uh, spaces or um, communities rather should have creators or creative teams working on these characters who share some of those experiences not to say that you can't be a white man and write a black woman or a gay man or a Muslim dude but you just won't have that same lived in experience and not even to say that that character written by this white man won't be a good story, but you get nuance when you get characters. So just imagine Cypher being written by a team of black women who have that own lived-in experience and, and have locks, are brown skin, are you know have this what all in all this lived-in experience that can add to this story being told about this black woman who can by her own will be for all intents and purposes invisible can be untouchable like that's that's something that's 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 <laughs> that's something now um kind of get, <laughs> getting back into her powers now though like i said it's very similar to kitty pride okay well fuck a, a quick aside even with kitty pride just imagine a black woman writing this story of Cypher and Kitty Pride. Like, again, these two women, black, one, black, one, white, living in this world with the similar, if not exact same power set, but experiencing life so totally different than the other. Like, living in these two, oh, man, that would be, oh, that would be amazing. So, <laughs> now, uh, Flight. Cypher while she's in her phase state she can fly or float and she can control like the the speed in which she's doing both so that you can you can fly you can phase um invisibility cypher can render herself completely invisible again just what is this saying like ah like there's layers layers <laughs> and also telepathic immunity now cypher is also a psychically excuse me it's also psychically invisible now what they have listed when it comes to this character is that it's unclear if she can render herself completely psychically invisible and uh, the reason being is because jean gray uh, was able to detect cypher but Cyclops stated that Emma Frost, another powerful telepath, was not able to detect her. Now, when it comes to these, it's not necessarily splitting hairs, but we're dealing with comics, which is a fiction that is handled by different creators. So things can change, get retconned and moved around. But dealing just with that one piece of Cypher's ability and the relation to Gene and Emma, that's also something that can be kind of unpacked there. Um, the fact that this black woman's ability and her power set is not only hers alone but it's also what am i trying to say this black woman's power set is a benchmark that advances the plot for two other women 
two other white women. So, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna repeat this with the describing her telepathic immunity. And then and let me know in the comments. You know, uh, comment down. Uh, this should be up on the YouTube channel. Comment down there and comment on SoundCloud and tweet me using the hashtag CBNPod and let me know your thoughts. Cipher has a is able to become psychically invisible. Jean Grey was able to see her, but Emma Frost was not. Now, what they go on to say is that it's not clear if Cypher was using her powers when Jean found her. So if she wasn't using her powers, then of course she could be found. Or that because Jean has been imbued with the Phoenix Force forever and a day, her powers were enhanced that allowed her to see what Emma could not. Like there, there's something there, and if you can unpack that, please let me know. <laughs> now, um, another part of her power is inaudibility. Now, this is something that I don't believe Kitty Pride has as an ability, and I only bring her up because they are so similar with their main power sets. Now, with Cipher rendering herself completely silent, or she can allow herself to only be heard by certain people, which is so cool. Like, just think of the implications of that power. You have so many times that there are psychic and telepathic individuals who link everyone together, and they all share this, like, silent communication in their mind, and it's still able to be seen on the page for the reader, but in the world of the comic, it's completely silent. Whereas Cypher's ability, though it isn't telepathic or maybe like latent in nature telepathic, but she's able to cancel out. So just just think in the middle of a battle, a gigantic battle for those of you who see Endgame, think of that battle. For those of you who are fans of Twilight, think of the big battle in Breaking Dawn Part 2. Any big battle when you have tons of people on the left, tons of people on the right, and we're going at it. Think of the advantage that you could have with Cypher not involved in the fight but on the lookout where she can speak directly to you hey you so-and-so on to your left hey you so-and-so to your right flip jump fly, like she's able to so she can yell this out or whisper it or whatever and you can hear but no one else can't like that's that's oh think of what she could do in sports if you a gambling person she could sit right there in the crowd and <laughs> what she can do at a casino like I don't know this is oh man she seems very powerful but I digress I mean I stand a powerful queen <laughs> now also Cypher was trained in stealth and spying this is aided by her mutant powers of course because she has the she's pretty much the perfect spy and that's another thing you have characters like Wolverine and you have Psylocke and you have the hand and you have quote-unquote ninja or ninja adjacent characters and to think that this her natural ability makes her one of the most interesting like i would love to see cypher hawkeye because we know hawkeye is supposed to be deaf that's canon and daredevil like in in a story arc together like just just imagine hawkeye this deaf hero who's a, a baseline human cypher who is this like woman who can just remove all ex existence of her or any evidence of her existence and then daredevil who is blind like ah oh, man and then have consultants who are in these communities like man that okay <laughs> i just got myself excited again <laughs> 
So moving on. Also, Cypher was trained in stealth and spying and is aided by her powers, but she's also able to pilot the X-Jets. Now, I don't know what her age is. Um, it's mentioned that she was a student and in the academy and whatever else, and we'll get to that as well. So I would imagine that she's in her teens, early 20s. And I say early 20s just because we're not given a lot of information about her. I didn't recall um, seeing anywhere where there was family mentioned, uh, parental units, siblings, any of that. If you know, tweet me. Uh, leave a message in the comments. Let me know. But I didn't find anything about So I, I imagine that she's of a young adult age. Now, uh, before getting started, because <laughs> we haven't even started yet, um, there are a few things that I want to mention that will help in following and understanding Cypher's story. Um, a few events. The first of which is Scarlet Witch reduces the mutant population to 198. So Cypher, of course, was created in... Well, first appeared in 2009, but created um, approximately 2008, 2009-ish, end of 8, early 9. So about two to three years before Cypher's first official appearance, so we'd say approximately 2005, the Scarlet Witch, Magneto's daughter, uses her powers to create a new reality with mutants in charge. After it was revealed that her brother Quicksilver put her up to it, she says, and I quote, no more mutants and has most of the earth's mutant population unpowered taking the mutant population from a large uncountable amount like in the comics there was no count of every single mutant because again with different creators handling different stories different titles and different characters you were able to just create a random mutant that was just what you were able to do so there had not been an index, a catalog, a table of continents that had every single mutant listed. Uh, so within this, that mutant population went from an uncountable amount down to 198 mutants. This decimation event was called M-Day. Now with this, again, for those of you who've been longtime listeners or just been catching up, you'll remember that M-Day, House of M, is one of the books, the trades, one of the first trades that I read when I got back into comics. And it was such an amazing story, even with the characters that had appeared who I knew nothing about. Like, I believe Jessica Jones was in the main House of M trade or, or storyline. And I didn't know who the hell she was. But with the characters that were there, it was just such a good story. Also, those of you who've watched Avengers and Infinity War and Endgame and all that, keep M-Day in mind. That's all I'll say on that. Um, by this time... I think the two-week embargo has been lifted as far as uh, Infinity War and, uh, excuse me, Endgame is concerned. But just keep in mind, M-Day and House of M and Scarlet Witch when you um, think about the MCU going forward. I have my theories, but just keep that in mind. So again, Scarlet Witch reduces the mutant population from uh, to 198. Another event, and this was in 2008, our time, <clears throat> which... I'm not sure where that falls on the timeline with Cypher, if it's a bit before. I know it's before as far as publication is concerned, but I'm not sure if it's before, how much before Cypher's first appearance this is. But um, the next event is Hope is first new mutant born. So a new mutant is born, Hope Summers, which leads to a race to get her from uh, the X-Men cable to Sinister and his team. 
Cable takes the baby to the future, much like what happened to him way back in, I believe it was the 80s or the 70s. Jeez, forgive me. But when Cable was a baby and he was thrown far in the future just to protect him, it was kind of the same thing. The next thing is uh, not necessarily a vent, but a, uh, um, a safe haven. Gray Malkin Industries. After the birth of the Messiah child, again, Hope Summers, Bishop, brother to Shard, who I covered back in season one, issue two of Carefree Black Nerd, that episode will be listed in the show notes for this one. Um, Bishop betrayed the X-Men and used nanomites to corrupt the One Sentinels. One O-N-E, the Office of National Emergency. Now, these One Sentinels uh, watched over the X-Men because of the events of M-Day. Uh, because the mutant population was so small and they were targeted, they were actually a minority at that time. Now, um, after the events of M-Day, the One Sentinels destroyed the home at the Xavier Institute. And after much debate uh, and rescue, a mission uh, of a few AWOL X-Men, Scott Summers Cyclops, with the financial assistance of Warren Worthington III, who is known as Angel or Archangel, two of the first five uh, original X-Men, decided to relocate in San Francisco where the people and the mayor were more accepting of mutants. Which, again, all of this happened during the time that I was away from comics. So going back and reading about these different um, kind of happenings got me excited. It's like, okay, I need to get my hands on these issues because just think the original X-Men were supposed to be a stand-in for racism and discrimination in the civil rights movement. And we know that X-Men have moved away from that in years and moved back and kind of fluctuated back and forth. Uh, mostly they've been a set of conventionally attractive white characters. Now, that's not to say there weren't good stories going on, but they had become less of a direct analog to these issues. This right here... This shit right here, nigga, this thing, like, they're exactly what they used to be back in the day. So, I need to get my hands on these issues. Um, Like I said before, when I first started the podcast, this is a space for me to discover, uncover, and give out information about different characters of color, but also a way for me to connect to a long-lost love, which is comics and nerd culture. And finding different storylines like this gets me so excited because I'm like, God damn, like, this is, it just sounds great. Like, I, I need to get my hands on a few of these runs and, and, and read these for myself because it's not enough to go through and, and, and research stuff. It's better that I... Get my hands on a physical copy or a digital copy and see these actions laid out in front of me. Like, spoiled or not, I still want to see the things that happen. Now, um, Grey Malkin Industries first appeared in Astonishing X-Men Volume 3, number 25. That was in September of 2008. And last appeared in Uncanny X-Men issue 532. That was in March of 2011. So again, this guy, guys, this is like right months before I got right back into comics like these events happened and then I picked up and here we are Um, another event is the X-Men relocate to San Francisco the X-Men are disbanded and reform in a new location in San Francisco this was about 2009 Um, also the X-Men established Utopia Cyclops excuse me, Psychopses <laughs> X-Men Build Utopia. This is a refuge home for mutants off the coast of San Francisco. 
Magneto, who has regained his powers after M-Day, visits Utopia and requests to join the X-Men. Now, I'm going to take a quick little break here, and uh, while I'm doing that, just kind of soaking this information, let me know if any of this familiar to you. You comic heads out there who have been reading, like, tell me where should I start <laughs> when it comes to kind of um, f- catching up on what I lost or these events. Are there certain issues that I need to look at? Are there characters that maybe appeared in them that aren't in the synopsis and the and the reviews? Like, let me know. And if you're new to comics, like, does this sound like something that's interesting to you? You know, because when you see X-Men, we've, we've seen countless films and animated series and such. Like, does this utopia and relocate to San Francisco and this decimation of mutants like, is this some of the things that get you excited about X-Men? Does this feel like the X-Men from when you were a kid? I don't know. Just let me know something. So, tweet me, carefreeblurred, use that hashtag CBMPod, and leave me a message in the comments. And we'll be right back with the history of Cypher. And we are back. Now, in the ongoing series, Young X-Men, a character named Jonas Greymalkin, he mentions the name Cypher twice. The first time is when he is alone inside the air ducts in the Danger Cave. Um, He says that he is not the, and I quote, not the only one that can help them. There is Cypher. Uh, The second time is when he tells Donald Pierce, who is disguised as Cyclops, that, and I quote, Cypher told him everything. <laughs> now, this isn't a Jonas Greymalkin episode, but I do want to kind of mention him a bit. Jonas Greymalkin was born in a pre-revolutionary America. At the age of 16, he was aware of the turmoil in the colonies over taxation from the British Parliament, but he didn't really care. Now, Jonas was um, coming to terms with his own issues because he had just realized that he was gay. Now, one day, while meeting another boy in his family's barn, he was discovered by his father. His father was, of course, a religious man. This man believed that uh, his son is an abomination and a spawn of the devil, beating the shit out of Jonas into an early grave. Um, His father then buried him alive in the nearby woods now this is the part that's kind of well not that that wasn't important this is more important for the story gray malkin's death or uh to me being buried alive triggered his mutant powers which allowed him to survive for about 200 plus years underground before being unearthed in the modern era and this is important because of course some things that come later on in the story another quick aside um Fun fact, Grey Malkin is a descendant of, or an ancestor of Charles Xavier. Grey Malkin is his last name, and I believe it's the name of the street that the Xavier Institute is uh, built on. I'm going to say resided on, built on. Now, Elisa Taggart, God damn it, Elisa, (laughs) was discovered by Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Zorn. This was back in New New X-Men Volume 2. This was during a riot in Mutant Town. Now, Jean, and this is kind of referencing back to what I said before the break about Jean and Emma Frost and discovering Cypher's abilities. Jean was able to detect Elisa's presence 
And per Elisa's request, Scott and Jean chose to keep Elisa's presence a secret, giving her the codename Cypher. Now, all of this was made easier simply by nature of Elisa's mutant ability, allowing her to go undetected. Now, another thing I'm thinking is like, man, with this ability, that is a level of isolation or self-inflicted isolation that has to be something behind it which there is because there is mentioned that Elisa is running from someone uh, I think they mentioned him they call him he or him um, and then and with the research that I found about this character I have yet to find out what he or him actually is um, a quote from Elisa that is attached to every single article I've read about her is and I quote I like my privacy like that's so again going back to that self-induced solitude it's there's a reason for that and i would love to see that explored more because again i haven't found any history or any um kind of um confirmation about why she likes her privacy who this is she's running from and there may be some out there i just haven't stumbled upon it and if so let me know in the comments or tweet me carefree blurred use that hashtag cbn pod now, during the events of Astonishing X-Men Volume 3, Cypher developed a friendship with Blindfold. Now, Blindfold is another character I won't go too deep into, uh, but she's a character who was born with no eyes and no eye sockets. And I think she has like a precognitive ability, but that's really all you need to know for this lesson. Um, secretly, Cypher had been communicating with Blindfold. Now, this explained, and for those of you who were reading the books, live or have read them since this conversation and friendship between cypher and blindfold kind of explained blindfolds behavior in that run because it seemed as if she was talking to herself when she was actually in fact communicating with cypher now um Cypher acted during this time as a spy now the reason why well the spy at the Xavier Institute but one of the events that happened was Beast went on a rampage through the X-Mansion. And during that time, Cypher was able to help and protect Blindfold. Which is, again, another, ah, I need to get back, get my hands on this run so I can kind of go through it and see this play out for myself. Now, Final Genesis. When Jonas Greymalkin emerged from his would-be grave, now remember Greymalkin was beat by his dad way back in pre-colonial age and buried alive. Now when he will emerge from his grave under the remains of the Xavier Institute following that last sentinel attack that destroyed the school, he was greeted by Cypher. Now after their meeting, the two of them observed Donald Pierce impersonating Cyclops and training the young X-Men in order to assassinate Sunspot and the Black King of the Hellfire Club. Now there's a lot going on there, a lot to unpack. Donald, Pier Donald Pierce excuse me, was the original, I believe, White King of the Hellfire Club way back in the day. There is a lot to unpack that I think um, I don't want to get into for this lesson because it doesn't directly tie to cypher herself it's like things that were happening around her that she though was a part of it wasn't integral to her as a character i'll just say that sunspot being the leader the black king of the hellfire club and having like 
cannonballing them after with him and magma and then donald pierce being being uh scott like that's a lot going on that is terrifying <laughs> to say the least but again that's not that important for this lesson now at the end of revelations <coughs> excuse me mm -mm, let me let me take a step back now with him being the black king and having donald pierce go after him that was Another time where I wasn't into comics, but I need to get my hands on because X-Men alone is a soap opera that's hard to pull apart because of so much continuity, continuity errors and, and, and so forth. We know this. Um, shout outs to Jay Miles explaining the X-Men. They have been doing a phenomenal job for the past few years, taking the storylines and arcs and pulling them apart. But just, uh, there's so much going on. They haven't gotten this far yet in their coverage. Uh, but I'll be tuning in when they do. <laughs> now, with the the attack on the Hellfire Club. So, Donald Pierce was imper impersonating Cyclops and training the new young X-Men. Now, Cypher aided Blindfold and a character named Ink, which again, I won't get into him, but he's a part of the young X-Men. During their capture of Danny Moonstar, who was part of the Hellfire Club ran by Sunspot. Though, uh, excuse me, through the cipher, quote unquote cipher, Jonas Greymalkin was a, was told to kill Pierce. Jonas and Cypher freed Magma, who was also part of the Hellfire stuff, and attacked Pierce. Pierce escaped. Now, to stop him, Magma, Greymalkin, Cypher, and a freshly recovered Dust, another character who oh, I love this character so much. I'm going to get into her one day. Um, they took the remaining X-Jet to New York City to stop the other young X-Men from battling Cannonball and Sunspot at the Hellfire Club. All in all, it was a bunch of shit going on. <laughs> now, their X-Jet was destroyed by Cannonball. But after explaining Pierce's deception, the two teams together headed to Pierce's, uh, I believe, subterranean lair. Cypher rejoined Grey Malkin and explained that she survived the crash by phasing. Like, duh, of course she would. Like, was there ever any doubt? Now, going on to Revelations. Cypher finally revealed herself to Ink at this time. And she persuaded him to help um, his teammates, the young X-Men, defeat the Y-Men. Created by the mutant tattoo artist Leon Nunez. He created Ink. Uh, she then accompanied Ink to Nunez's tattoo parlor and watched him get both of his, and I don't know how to pronounce this, it's cadasis. It's like that old school medical symbol that's like two snakes and some wings and a pole or whatever else. Uh, I'll probably, you know what I'm talking about, hell, Google it. Um, so he got that tattoo and he got the Phoenix Force tattoo. Now, the interesting thing with Ink is that he's actually not a mutant, which I think is a very interesting uh, kind of take to address when you have a book about mutants. Um, his power is granted to him by Leon Nunez because Nunez is a mutant who's able to kind of give you powers based off of what he tattoos on your body which is such an odd thing but there could be a whole story like written about this guy and the shit that he does like is it is it um is it evil is it done for good is he just an artist who was cursed or or gifted this mutant ability which directly 
interacts with his passion of art. Like, man, there's so... And then can he also just draw something on you and you get that ability? Because if we're thinking about mutant abilities in the natural scope of things, there's been mutants for decades and decades and decades where there weren't always tattoo equipment in parlors. So was it just the simple act of drawing a ring around your finger or flames on your hand that now you can control fire. Like that's, that's something interesting. I think that, uh, it could be, but whatever. I digress. (laughs) Now, after Cypher revealed herself to Ink and they went to the tattoo parlor, she really was like, nah, you ain't gotta do this. We gotta go help the, of the crew. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Not knowing that, you know, the source's power was these tattoos. Um, after the defeat of the Y men, Cypher made a full member of the Young X-Men, and she helped dis, uh, prepare Dust's body for burial. Later, she assisted in battling the Neo on the Golden State, Golden Gate Bridge. God, Lord. Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> now, here we're going to take another quick break, and uh, we'll come back with more kind of information about Cypher. But while on break, please... Live tweet your answers to me using the hashtag CBMPI or comment below if you're listening on YouTube. Were you aware of Cypher? Like, is she a character who, am I the only one in the dark, like, not knowing about this girl? Also, how do you feel about her being around for all these major events but not revealing herself? Like, do you think that her and Scott and Jean betrayed the trust of the team by not letting the pres- her presence be known? Because you know, I mean, as a parent... You know, you do things for your children and for your niece and nephews that they maybe don't understand yet, but that helps them in the long run, especially when you're protecting them. But it's like you have this team full of kids and then this one person who we know nothing about who can spy on us and it doesn't even have to be telepathically. Like, what do you think? Do you think that she was wrong? Do you think that her Scott and Jean were wrong? Let me know. And uh, we'll be back to wrap up this episode of Carefree Black Nerd. And we're back again. <laughs> Thank you guys for, for coming back. Now, um, Utopia. Now, during the San Francisco riots about Proposition X, Cypher was teamed with Colossus and Surge in trying to keep the peace. While the trio scouted the perimeter, the Dark Avengers arrived on the scene. Uh, I'm going to stop there because I do want to get into Proposition X. Now, with this... When the majority of the world's remaining mutant population moved to San Francisco, some were excited and others, like the Hellfire Cult, feared what would happen. Now, a guy named Simon Trask and his anti-mutant rights group, the Humanity Now Coalition, Humanity Now Coalition, excuse me, tried to capitalize on the fear by performing Proposition X. This was the Mutant Breeding Act ballot initiative, Prop X. Now, this was to legislate mutant reproductive rights, pointing to the massacre in Cooperstown, Alaska, and the first mutant birth since M-Day as presidents. Now, Trask began to gain traction in the California state legislature to muscle Prop X into an emergency ballot vote. Now, if it passed, Proposition X would require all humans who are X-gene positive to undergo mandatory chemical birth procedures. What the entire fuck is going on? Like, yeah. What? 
<laughs> I just, I'm at a loss for words. Why in the fuck is it? Ah, again, this is why I need to get my hands on this run because ah, clearly, this shit, this shit right here, this, I don't know. Okay, so while Humanity Now began its march on uh, San Francisco, they were met by a peaceful protest of Props X opponents led by Beast. And it composed of both mutants and humans. Now, however, Hellion and several other notorious mutants incited a riot. Which, of course, it's always some self-hating motherfuckers that want to get this fucking pick-me mentality. But, whatever. Now, when the mutant riots broke out in San Francisco, Norman Osborn, director of the National Peacekeeping Organization, Hammer, which we don't get into right now, declared martial law and sent his Avengers and his X-Men into quell the riots and take down the X-Men leading to the events of Utopia, which is, ah, uh, so again, I'm going to repeat Utopia <laughs> for you. Now, during the San Francisco riots, which we just mentioned, about Prop X, Cypher was teamed with Colossus and Surge trying to keep the peace. While the trio scouted the perimeter, the Dark Avengers arrived, thanks to motherfucking Osborn. Now, Spider-Man, which was Mac Gargan, attacked them, inciting a fight between Colossus and Rockslide, who participated in the riots. Colossus instructed the girls, the two girls, excuse me, to flee as he took on the dangerous villain, which, ugh, trash. Um, now, also, Jean Grey's School for Higher Learning. Cypher was among the younger X-Men to follow Wolverine when he moved back to Westchester and opened the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. And here's where we're going to end our discussion on Elisa Tiger or Tagger, excuse me, uh, Cypher. Uh, there, yeah, we're going to end it here. Um, now, lastly, before we go anywhere, I want you to let me know who you would like to see uh, play Cypher in a series or like what creative team would you like to see in control of a limited series or a major series and i say this because this girl is has so much power she survived m-day have went through all this shit with all these different motherfuckers she has she wants her privacy she has this immense power and ability and it's like what are we doing with her you know it, <laughs> Yeah, so getting back to that, <laughs> let me know in the comments or tweet me, live tweet me, use the hashtag CBMPod. Cypher, like, would you want to see a series on her? Like, after everything that we've gone through and touched on today, is she an interesting enough character to you to warrant a series, be it a limited series, maybe a six-issue run, a uh, ongoing 12 issues and beyond? And if you do fall on the side of, yeah, give her a series, who would you like to see write it? It doesn't have to be a uh, comic book uh, writer. It can be your favorite author, poet, or whatever. But let me know. You know, you might bring up some names that I don't know about that I might want to get into their works. But who would you like to see? Like, what kind of creative team would you like to see handle Cypher? Uh, and lastly, if we get some live action, because hell, with the events of Endgame and the MCU going forward and Disney Plus, who knows what we're going to get? Like, we could get any number of things. Um, so with that, if we got a live action series or got her in a series, who would you want to play her? Like who's, who's a, a young brown girl with locks or we can add locks to, but who has the acting ability and the range to give us cipher? Or do you think there's enough there to be explored? Um, either way, thank you guys for listening. Um, again, thank you for being patient on my hiatus. I'm back in full effect. We're going to, uh, try to hit the ground running and finish this year out strong 
Um, there are a few things coming down the pipeline that I'm working on and I'm very excited to share with you guys. Uh, so with all this, please be sure to tweet me, follow me on all social medias, but tweet me. That's one of the most immediate ways to get in touch with me. That's carefree blurred. Use that hashtag CBN pod, um, all other social media sites, carefree black nerd and, uh, email me as well. If you don't want to tweet, you don't want to have it be live. You don't want to do the DM thing. Email me carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Um, and, and let me know, guys. Let me know what were your thoughts on this episode, some before, you know, if you're listening to this in the future. Did you like this? How does this stack up to the most recent episode <laughs> you listened to? Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Thanks, guys, again for tuning in. And until next time, please stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and uh, stay intangible and phasing through objects, uh, phasing on the haters. <laughs> All right, y'all, till next time.